0: Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. If you're looking for news, tips, and stories about fishing the Great Lakes, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Chris Larson.
1: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast and Fishhawk Live. And today we are joined by Mark Romanek from Fishing 411 TV. Mark, uh, thanks so much for joining the show today. Chris, it's always my pleasure. I look forward to this man. I know you've been busy and you've been out uh, filming and shooting some shows. Tell us a little bit about how your summer's going so far.
0: Actually, that's going really good. Um, the majority of our shows for Fishing 4 and one are going to be shot all from April through October. And this year, I don't know why things just fell in place nicely, because uh, we're typically right to the bitter end, shooting shows right to the end of fall. But this year, we're sitting on 11 completed already. That might be a record. I probably just jinxed myself because I'll probably uh, have a bunch of... Uh, canceled shows from going out the rest of the season here but right now i'm very content to be sitting on 11 episodes um and we're not even into september yet so lots of great fishing to come and uh, and so i think it'll be an easy year as far as for television
1: find some wood to knock on (laughs) 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 Uh,
0: i've been jinxed, and uh, of course as a fisherman i am um i guess i i tend to be uh that guy that worries about such things you won't find any bananas in my boat let's put it that
1: way Right, right. Well, we're going to talk some spoons today. Um, And first of all, let's kind of get into, you know, is a spoon a spoon? When people are out shopping for spoons and they're thinking about loading up the tackle box. uh, First of all, just talk about kind of the different types of spoons.
0: Well, definitely a spoon is not a spoon. I mean, there's different kinds of spoons for different applications. And, uh, And even the early trolling spoons weren't all that productive at trolling because Back then, folks just simply didn't understand what it took to make a good trolling spoon. You know, the first spoons people think of, it's things like the Eppinger Daredevil. I mean, it's been around forever. It's a tremendous spoon. But that is definitely a casting spoon. It is not a trolling spoon. It's just too heavy to have good action at the speeds that we would normally troll at. And so the first thing you have to be looking at is the trolling spoons are typically going to be thinner. Um, That's a good thing, and it's a bad thing. The good thing is that a thin spoon has a lot of action at relatively slow speeds. So they can be trolled slow, you know, moderate speeds and even fast speeds um, and get great action. The downside is that they're easily bent. And so if you get a big kahuna tuna on there and you're struggling with this big salmon, by the time you get it in the boat, there's a pretty good chance that, that fish has destroyed your spoon. And once they're bent, um, you can't bend them back and get them to do what they're supposed to do. It just doesn't work that way. And so a spoon doesn't last forever. In other words, I'm replacing spoons every single year. It's just a matter of the game that you're playing. And some species of fish are worse than others. In my opinion, the coho is the one that kills a lot of our spoons because as you know, uh, they roll a lot. And when they roll and twist, that's what damages the spoon. And they do it not only in the water, but as soon as they hit the landing net, they're doing it even more. And so if that spoon catches in the mesh of your landing net and that fish is twisting, there's a pretty good chance that spoon is toasted. And so we go through a fair number of spoons. Um, it's just part of the game, and uh, replacing them every year to make sure that we got spoons that are the right shape um, for the right presentation.
1: I think a lot of captains and the fishermen like to look at those spoons, though, that are all busted up and war torn, and they almost think of it kind of like a prideful thing, like, "Hey, this spoon is hot. Look at look at all the fish this thing has caught." So, at what point do you do you go, "All right, enough's enough for this spoon"?
0: <laughs> well, you can pretty well tell if you look at it and it's tweaked. Um, I'm not talking about just scratches on the finish and stuff from the teeth, but if you look at it and you can clearly see that it's bent and you put it up alongside another spoon, an easy a litmus test is take two spoons, lay one on top of another, and if they don't mesh perfectly, you know, with a spoon you know it's true, then the spoon is tweaked and it's no good no more. And I just toss them in a pile and that pile just gets bigger and bigger. Some guys will get creative and they'll make things like lake trolls out of them and stuff like that. But personally, I don't worry about it. I, I'm, I'm of that of that camp that says, "Hey, you know that that spoon did what it was supposed to do. I don't feel bad now that it's not in my my lineup." So kind of like a crankbait that um, doesn't have any paint left on it because it's caught so
1: many fish. So um, yeah. it's just a cool thing. You should autograph them and sell them at shows and say, "Hey, the great Mark Romanek fished with this spoon," and then they, they could you know put that up on their bookshelf.
0: I'd probably have to pay people to take them. <laughs> <off>. <laughs> yeah, they want them for free, but uh, um, this is part of the game. So, in some spoons are more notorious for bending than others. Um, you know, the larger the spoon is, the more surface area it is, the more likely it's going to bend. Uh, smaller spoons tend to be used for smaller species that are less aggressive, and they don't tend to bend so much. Like, for example, the little junior streaks that we use for walleye, I almost never bend one of those. Um, but the standards and the magnums that we use for trout and salmon, they get bent constantly. So it's just part of the part of the game.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. That's a good segue. Let's talk about sizes and, and how do you go about kind of deciding what size to dip in the water when you're about ready to, to put set up your trolling program?
0: Well, largely, Chris, it comes down to you know what you're trying to imitate, what forage is out there that you're trying to imitate, and that'll of course have a big factor on what type of fish that you're trying to target. If you're going after salmon, now, there's a pretty good chance you're gonna be using the larger size spoons, what they're typically called magnums, or the standard size spoons. Uh, Because those are the size that do a really good job of imitating the thing a salmon is likely to eat uh, Smelt, alewives, gizzard shad, that type of thing Uh, If you're going after a smaller species like walleye and you're trying to use a salmon spoon That's just not really going to be applicable because walleye are eating different forage. A walleye is more likely to be eating something like an emerald shiner uh, Which is a smaller and more slender bait fish and so you want a slender spoon to replicate that the best as possible Um, and then there's medium-sized spoons and uh, I use a lot of silver streaks, and uh, I have some spoons here that I, that I brought along for sampling. And then this one over here on the far side here by my hand right now, that's a magnum. Uh, that's what I would describe as a salmon spoon. The one next to it, of course, is, uh, is a standard. Again, that's a salmon and a trout spoon. And then the next one over here, um, this one here that I'm kind of jiggling with there, that's called a mini. And that's a useful spoon because it has a lot of application. We catch trout and salmon on it. We catch brown trout on it. Um, but it's also a good walleye spoon as well. And then the far side there, the smallest one. That's called a junior streak. And about the only thing I use that for is walleye fishing. I know some guys use them for some other applications, but that's my go to walleye spoon.
1: All right. So it's a good look at sizing. We've got a question here from High Point Outdoors over on YouTube. And they're asking, uh, does size and the color of spoons you choose change uh, depending on water temperature?
0: Not so much. Um, You know, you know, Typically when we're targeting trout and salmon, we're looking for a specific water temperature that we know they're gonna be abundant in. Um, And that typically runs from 50 to about 60 degrees. For example, I was just steelhead fishing uh, just recently um, and the coolest water we could find was 60 degrees and that's where the steelhead were. Uh, And so the spoon size is not as relevant as what the available forage is gonna be. Um, If you're using a big spoon, like a Magnum, um, but those fish have been keyed on feeding on smaller smelt, maybe a three inch smelt, um, your spoon is not gonna look natural to them because they're not used to a forage that big and they're gonna abandon that spoon, not necessarily uh, you know, strike that spoon as readily. The example I would use is I go to Lake Ontario in the springtime. In the springtime, all of the forage fish are as large as they're gonna be because they've already completed the full life cycle. So if you're talking about an alewife that's six inches long, that big Magnum spoon um, is you know, gonna be something that, uh, you know it's gonna do a nice job of replicating that. and. Uh, backwards here, looking into the camera, of course, but uh, the larger spoon on there is the magnum. So to me, I'm looking more about the size of the forage to match the spoon, and I'm not too concerned about water temperature. Water temperature is going to play to trolling speed, and that's another whole subject that we'll want to get into today, is talking about what trolling speed is applicable for what spoon.
1: Yeah, let's do that now. Let's talk about, uh, about your trolling speeds and kind of what you choose, depending on what spoon you're using, and what species you're chasing? Okay,
0: well, typically speaking, water temperature dictates trolling speed for the most part. You know, when it's real cold water, we're naturally going to slow down because those fish are going to be a little bit more lethargic in cold water than they would be in warm water. But the ex- you know the exception to that rule is trout and salmon. Even in cold water, salmon will chase baits at a relatively high rate of speed, 2.2 to 2.5 miles an hour is not uncommon, even when the water is only 42 to 45 degrees. Um, so in that situation, um, you're dealing with something that's a little bit, a little bit different, di- you know, dichotomy. Um, those fish will chase even in cold water. But other species of fish, like so, say for a, for example, a walleye. A walleye is a warm water species. They typically are not interested in spoons until you get to the point where you control about two miles an hour. And for me, that water temperature is about 60 degrees. So when the water temperature gets to about 60 degrees, I start thinking spoons because now I know I can go fast enough. To give the spoon great action the problem with a lot of spoons is if you get below two miles an hour you're going to lose a lot of action on those spoons so most spoons come to life at two to two two to two five that's where they're the best if you dip down to one eight to one nine you might have action or you might not and uh, it depends on the spoon uh, also depends on whether you're trolling into the sea or whether you're trolling with a following sea so um keeping those things in mind there's a lot to understanding to get the most out of spoons. In general, I would say a spoon is a presentation that shines better at higher speeds.
1: All right, let's talk a little bit about you said presentation. Uh, we got a question questionnaire that actually is pretty timely over on Facebook. What's your favorite way to run the spoon? Rigger, Dipsy, Leadcore, kind of what what's how does your what does your program look like? All
0: of the above. <laughs> I know that's kind of a cop out, but actually we use all of those things. And uh, and I highly recommend uh, even walleye guys you know walleye guys are not really downrigger guys for the most part you look at a typical walleye fisherman he probably doesn't have downriggers but you really ought to um because downriggers are a tremendous presentation for all of the species there's nothing better uh, for, for depth control so i'm using spoons on all of those presentations um if the water is super clear uh an example like lake michigan uh, the michigan side of lake michigan those waters can be gin clear it's not uncommon they have 20 or 30 foot visibility Um, Certainly lead cores and copper lines, weighted steel, uh, sinking lines in general that are fished on inline boards that you can get out to the side that are more stealthy are going to probably be your best producers. Um, Things like Dipsy Divers. Historically, we always just ran a six foot leader behind a Dipsy Diver. Now we run things like slide divers that allow us to put a longer leader behind the diver itself, primarily in clear water. Um, But I always, every day when I'm trout and salmon fishing, and many times with walleye fishing, I always have riggers in the water as well. The show we just shot in Lake Erie that I was talking about um, just briefly was primarily about steelhead, but there were walleyes there. And we caught a lot of them on downriggers. And fish we probably wouldn't have caught otherwise because a downrigger gives you much better control uh, for your depth. So when those fish are at a very specific depth, you can't beat a downrigger for depth control.
1: Very good. Uh, you talked a little bit about the different ways that you fish it. Um, how about other things that you would add to your presentation? Things like inline flashers. Can you talk a little bit about that? <laughs> that's
0: a, that's interesting because a lot of people simply don't understand that you don't have to fish a spoon clean. You can fish it with an attractor. There's a variety of them out there that guys can use. Uh, the one that I've fallen on that I seem to like the best is product made by Yakima Bait. It's called uh, the Spin Fish. It's triangular in shape and they're very popular in the Pacific Northwest. You don't see a lot of guys here using them in the Great Lakes yet, um, but it's triangular in shape. And the reason I like it is because it doesn't create any drag or resistance. A typical attractor like a rotator is going round and round like this in the water, creating a fair amount of resistance. Um, whereas a spinfish is just spinning on its own axis. And so the beauty of it is it puts out more flash. So I'll rig a spinfish on the line, um, and then I'll rig my spoon directly behind it about six feet away. So you've got a spin fish that's, tra- you know, pretty flash. And then you've got your spoon trailing that. I'll take that whole rig and I'll set it behind a downrigger 20 to 50 feet, depending on the clarity of the water. And that has been lights out for me. And I can't tell you how many walleyes, steelhead, um, you know, cohos, king salmon, brown trout we've caught doing that. So that extra flash brings those fish into the gear. And then once they get into the gear and get close, then, of course, they see the spoon and
1: it's game on. Very good. Uh, you talked about running it clean. How about uh, tipping? Do you do any, any sort of uh, tipping of spoons when you're out trailing? Um, You
0: see guys do that for walleye a fair amount where they're putting a little piece of nightcrawler around there. And I believe that they're doing that for descent purposes. And, and I think there are better ways to do that. Um, I don't like hanging anything on the spoon because it can deaden the action of the spoon pretty quickly. Um, these actions of spoons are pretty subtle, and um, you do anything, hang anything on them, and then suddenly, all of a sudden, you don't have the action. You're not getting bit on those spoons. So, if you like scent and you wanna, and you wanna add a scent stream to the water, I think you're further ahead uh, to use a scent product. Uh, we use a lot of Pro Cure. Uh, we like Super Gel. It's real sticky, and you put it on a spoon, it stays on a spoon. I only apply it about every 30 to 40 minutes, um, so that's a lasting scent stream. And when I'm doing a scent stream, I'm simply trying to match what I think the fish are feeding on. If they're feeding on smelt, I'm using a smelt scent. If they're feeding on alewife, I'm using an alewife scent. If they're, you know, feeding on gizzard shad. Guess what? Uh, I'm using a gizzard ge- gizzard shad scent. So you can match the hatch really nicely there and make that spoon not only look good enough to eat, um, but just as importantly, smell good enough to eat.
1: Probably the thing that that people who fish talk more about uh, when they when they talk about buying gear, especially lures, is going to be color. And that's something that, uh, you know, people debate about all the time. Tell me about colors and kind of what goes into that when you're selecting what you're going to be throwing in the water.
0: You know, I've been uh, known for saying this many times in my career. I, I look at color as important. I mean, we all know that certain colors work better on certain days, you know, depending on the water clarity, light penetration, all those variables. But the fact is, I believe we put way too much emphasis on color. And not nearly enough emphasis on presentation and whether it's the spoon or whatever lure is doing what it's supposed to be doing. That stated, we have biases, and I'm just as guilty as the next guy. I've got my biases of colors that I like. Uh, when it comes to trout and salmon, um, particularly king salmon and coho salmon, um, I'm gonna pick spoons that got green, they got blue, they got chartreuse on them, and they're gonna have silver backs every single time. I don't use a gold back or a copper back spoon. Um, when i'm salmon fishing i want silver i'm trying to replicate you know the flash of an alewife is basically what i'm trying to do and uh, and so to me that's really important now you go to the other end of the spectrum walleyes um man the walleye spoons are the craziest colors you've ever seen i mean i've got ones with pink backs chartreuse backs um ones that have what i would call an antifreeze back which is kind of a die coat and then the front surfaces can be painted any darn color you can possibly imagine some of the craziest color combinations Uh, Work very well for walleye because they're contrasting they stand out and because that spoon stands out against the crowd Guess what? That's the fish see it and uh, and they attack it So crazy colors seem to work really really well for the walleye But when it comes to trout and salmon, I'm looking at pretty much the standards I probably have six or eight standard colors uh, that I carry all the time that I depend on heavily Um, And then if we talk briefly about steelhead um, You can use any color you want for steelhead as long as it's got some orange on that spoon. It's gonna get bit I'm a real big advocate of orange when it comes to steelhead fishing. A whole spoon doesn't have to be orange. It can be just a tip of orange or just a little piece of orange on it. Uh, but a silver back spoon with some orange on the face is going to catch steelhead day in and day out.
1: You kind of sound like my grandpa. He said, he used to say, we can have whatever we want for dinner as long as it's steak. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, if it's not broke, um, it's not time to fix it. And, you know the thing is is that i'm probably guilty of not experimenting enough with color because i'm successful with the colors that i use and so i tend to go back to them and i think we all suffer from that bias and so it's kind of nice once in a while to have somebody else in the boat and they say well what color should i use and you say well you pick today you know and invariably the person's going to grab a color i would have never touched <laughs> and, and lo and behold they catch fish on it and so um we just get too refined in our color selections i think that um It's just one of those things that we are as fishermen. uh, uh, We're too biased in those, in that particular opinion.
1: You know, I've been blessed to be able to fish with some really, really good fishermen. And the thing that blows me away, it's not even color choice, but it's patterns. And sometimes you look at those patterns and there's like, there's not that much difference between the two. So how much do you play around with with patterns? I mean, after you've got your color, you're going to use green. Um, How much of a difference do you think those patterns really make?
0: There's a couple ways to look at patterns uh, one of the ways i like uh, flash patterns is that they tend to be i'll tend to choose a, a spoon that's got uh, some glow in the dark on for example now i don't like spoons that are too much glow in the dark i think that's overbearing um, and i think that actually repels fish but if you have a little strip that's glow in the dark on an otherwise spoon that's not glowing that can be very very effective and so if you are fishing early in the day or late in the day and you know are using a glow spoon that's going to get a little bit more visibility at deep water Um, I think that's a huge advantage. So that's a good way you can do that. But mostly I look at it as contrast. And what I'm talking about is I want the different colors on the spoon to be highly contrasting to one another so that each complements the other. I don't want similar colors side by side because they blend in together. If you have, you know, orange down one side, you know, and a, a, you know, a darker color, like a black or purple on the other side, they're going to be very contrasting to one another. Um, And to me, that makes the spoon more, you know, more easy to be seen is those contrasting colors.
1: All right. I think we've done a pretty good job of kind of going through a lot of the things you'd think about. Uh, is there something that you can think about, Mark, that I didn't ask you about that's important?
0: Absolutely. I think leader um, and uh, the diameter of the leaders that we use um, can make a big difference. Grab a quick crank here. The, hmm. um, the thing that I think a lot of us don't give a lot of consideration to is how does leader impact on lure action? Uh, if you're a salmon guy um, and you're fishing lead cores, um, or even maybe on your downrigger rods and stuff, you're probably having a minimum of 20 pound test line, and and that's fine. If you're if you're trolling with a magnum spoon or a standard spoon, um, you're probably going to do just fine with 20 pound test. But what happens if you get an opportunity to go? Um, maybe you're going to chase brown trout and uh, or maybe walleye, and you're going to run those mini size or those smaller spoons like the junior streaks. If you're running 20 pound test on them, you're not getting the action out of the spoon you could get. Um, and so it's probably going to cost you. So people are thinking, oh, God, Mark's going to tell me I got to redo my leaders on all of my lead cores every single time I go back and forth. Uh, we don't do that. Basically, I put a 20 pound leader on all of my lead cores, all of my coppers, um, all of my weighted steel lines um, and even my downriggers. And so if I want to run a shorter leader or excuse me, a lighter leader, what I'll run is just a six foot leader of a lighter material, typically um, for brown trout um, for coho. For um, while I, where I'm using smaller spoons, I drop down to a 15 pound test. And uh, six foot of 15 pound test is absolutely perfect to get that spoon lively. Um, it makes a huge, huge difference.
1: All right, very good, Mark. I know you guys have been busy. I've uh, seen some different Facebook posts and I think Instagram posts of you guys out uh, doing some work with precision trolling data, and that's going to be uh, pretty inf- pretty important information when we're running spoons as well. Tell us a little bit about what you have going on there right now
0: well this is the time of year that we do our precision trolling testing As a lot of people know uh, we do it with a scuba diver um, scuba divers in the water we're trolling past the scuba diver so we're pretty much limited to diving when the water temperatures are 50 degrees or warmer and that's because you really can't be in the water for any extended period of time in the water that's colder than 50 degrees and uh so summertime is you know it's peak time for us so we'll be doing precision trolling testing now all the way up until the water temperature starts dropping down to about 50. and where i live here in northern michigan that's usually about the first of october so we're usually wrapped up by the first of october um from a big water perspective um we're going to be doing a lot more stuff with big water a lot more lead core data a um, lot more gypsy type data um is going to be coming in the future so we've been working on that um this summer as well so Um, I would estimate that, you know, when it's all said and done, we'll probably test 35 to 40 new crankbaits. Um, We always do quite a few new crankbaits every year, Um, but we'll definitely expand on the 50 plus two, which is snap weights in combination with crankbaits. Everybody loves that Um, and people eating that data up for sure. So um, believe me, what we've just talked about, those things right there, that's enough to keep me busy for more than a summer.
1: So you've got a lot going on, and of course, uh, working with the show. Mark's website is fishing411.net, and right. uh, where can people find the show?
0: Uh, this time of year, we're on World Fishing Network, so if you want to see the, the show on national broadcast television, you'll see it on World Fishing Network for third and fourth quarter, and there's a lot of broadcasts out there. I think they're giving us like four a week, and so there's lots of broadcasts out there. Um, if you don't have World Fishing Network, the easiest way to find us is going to be um, Simply going to YouTube, our YouTube channel is very popular. User going up constantly. Everybody, you know, knows about YouTube and uses it, you know, um, to a high degree. So you'll find us on YouTube. And then there's another thing called MyOutdoorTV.com, and MyOutdoorTV is kind of like the Netflix of outdoor television. You have to pay a small monthly fee, um, but everybody has got content there. So there's an extensive amount of content that you can get for a very small monthly fee, and we're there, of course, as well. So. All of our content is uh, is on all of those different uh, venues, so you you shouldn't have too much trouble uh, finding Fishing 401 if you're
1: if you're looking for it. Very good, Mark Romanek from Fishing 411 TV. Appreciate you coming on the show today and talking spoons with us. And uh, I think a lot of people enjoyed the conversation and uh, hopefully learned quite a bit as well.
0: Well, it's been my pleasure. These are uh, great uh, learning tools. I think people take advantage of things like the podcast you're putting together can make them a lot better fishermen
1: all right thanks to mark thanks to everyone for watching and listening today we will talk to you next time
0: thanks for listening to the great lakes fishing podcast presented by fishhawk electronics for more information on fishing the great lakes visit our blog at fishhawkelectronics.com